This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Uh, we want to open our Bibles at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And this is the last uh, this evening on the series of Moses, the man of God. And to be truthful, there is just so much more that we could have said and perhaps should have said. Uh, But there comes a cutoff point. I I would have loved to even be able to tell you about the two trumpets, Aaron's rod that budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit. I'd love to have been able to tell you about all those feasts and all the offerings that were made and what they signify in Christ and again the tabernacle and all the furniture and what it was made of and the placing of it and the very materials that was used in the great tent. Uh, all of that, all of those things are wonderful in and of themselves. But there comes a point where you have to decide and because we have mainly, uh, for the most part, we have tried to focus more directly on Moses rather than what he had said and all the rest of it, we tried it more directly what was relating to him. And so that uh, we've come really to the end of it tonight. And this really is where Moses is getting ready to die. Uh, his ministry is about to be ended. And so in chapter 31, 31, 32, 33, 34, the last four chapters in Deuteronomy really is about Moses winding up He's putting everything just together before he leaves, before his departure. And there are certain things that he had to do and he had to put in place. And then it was finished and then he was gone. So in chapter 31, then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today and I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Lord, your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy those nations from before you, and you shall possess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. So be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go before this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And then he gives them, tells them to make sure that the law is read every seven years to bring to the remembrance. And then he, he predicts that even when they get into the land of promise that they will rebel against God, which they actually did. But Moses predicts that and warns them about that. And then he writes a song Uh, And this psalm was to remind them uh, two things, remind them that they would do this and remind them of the goodness of God in spite of what they do. And it's a wonderful song, but we're not going to read that here. 
Uh, and it says there in verse 22, Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which, of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of his, this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song, which until they were ended. And then he spoke... The, all the words of that wonderful song, which we're not even going to read tonight. It's a tremendous song, and, uh, but we just have to leave that there. But then verse 44 of chapter 32. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. And Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not futile, for it's not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you shall cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this day of the go up this day, go, sorry, go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab. Across from Jericho, view the land of Cana, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh and the wilderness of sin because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel yet you shall see the land before you though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel and then because he had invited all the elders and all of the leaders and all the heads of the tribes to come then in chapter 33 he begins to prophesy to them and hundreds of years before this Jacob in Genesis 49:50, Jacob gathered his sons together when he was about to die, and he prophesied to his sons. And those sons, of course, their families became the tribes of Israel. And hundreds and hundreds of years later, Moses, before he dies, before they go in to possess the land, then he starts to prophesy over them, all of these tribes, and make predictions about their lives and gives them promises and so forth. We haven't time to read all of that, but that's wonderful in and of itself too. But then we come now to chapter 34. This is the, the smallest chapter in all the five books of Moses. You know, Genesis, Acts, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the smallest chapter. And really this is Moses' obituary. That's really what it is. And, and, and in another way, it's a postscript. Because Moses here, he wrote the book. Obviously he couldn't write about his death. You know, because he went up the mountain on his own and didn't come back down again. So it looks as if Joshua at some point later 
that Joshua, who took over from Moses, that he wrote this postscript about the death of Moses. We think, it's as much as we know. But look at verse 1 of chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, and I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses and the servant of the Lord died there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Think for a moment. Moses and many reckon this is his 120th birthday, by the way. He goes up this mountain alone to die. His sister and his brother is dead. Joshua, who accompanied him up to Mount Sinai, is not with him. He is completely on his own, and yet he's not on his own because the Lord is with him. But as far as human figures are concerned, he has to climb this mountain alone. I always think that it's a little bit sad if someone dies alone. And there's nobody there with them. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, and sometimes it happens that a loved one is dying and, and a family member is caring for them. And sometimes for two or three days or even nights. And because they're weary and they're tired and they need a wash and they're hungry. And they just decide, well, I'll just step home for an hour. Maybe just put my head down for an hour. And, and before they even get home, the person dies. And they're left with that awful guilt feeling. I wish I had stayed. You know, they just died when they left. And there's nobody there for them. Or maybe, maybe they just live on their own. And, and there's no family members. And they die in their bed or they die in their chair. I always think it's a little bit sad if somebody dies just on their own. Just by themselves. But sometimes that just cannot be helped. I think that it's lovely if there is a family member or a friend or somebody there just to be with the person when they die, to hold their hand or maybe just touch them or just speak to them, just to let them know. I think it brings great comfort to the person who's dying. Moses didn't have that. He was totally on his own, and he knew he was going to die. And notice here, he's in full vigor of health. He's 120 and he's climbing this mountain, which, by the way, is more than twice the height of Sleeve Donard and County Down. And he's 120. He's already been up, he's already gone up Sinai, up and down seven times. So, I mean, he's as fit as a butcher's dog, isn't he? He really is fit. But why did God keep him so fit? Because his, his patriarch ancestors were not as fit as this, but God kept him fit so he could go up this mountain. 
Yeah, he could look after the children of Israel, but so in his last day, he could climb this mountain to see that land before him. And so he's, he's climbing up the mountain knowing that his ministry is over. Now, whenever people get old, and very often, and we have, we have all said this, this is maybe it's just an ordinary statement, I don't know, but when somebody's old and they're decrepit and, you know, and the body's worn down, ach, we say, ach, they're done. Ach, we, Jenny's done. Ach, we, Jimmy, he's just done. You know, we, we all know what we mean by that, don't we? They're just, they're just worn out. Well, Moses wasn't done. <laughs> His ministry was done, but he wasn't done. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could finish that our ministry would be done before we're done? If you know what I mean. Wouldn't that be lovely? That we could say, now we're not going to be like Moses 120 and fit as a fiddle, we're not going to be that. But wouldn't it be lovely to say that in our dying moment that we could sound on heart, we could say, Lord, I've done everything I know that you asked me to do. I'm ready to go home. Even though my body's done, but my ministry's done, which is more important, it's finished. Lord, you're calling me home. And that's where Moses was. Even though his body wasn't done, but his ministry was done. It was over. There was nothing more that he could do. There's nothing more he should do. It was his time to go. And so he climbs up this mountain, and he's standing, and he's looking over a tremendous vista, a great panoramic view of all that God has promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A few months ago when Sally and I were in the Philippines, we were driven, and it took a couple of hours, we were driven up this twisty, windy path up this road to the highest point in the Philippine uh, motorways, the Philippine expressways, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the highest point, Mount Atok, and Benka is, where's Ferns? Is Ferns here? Ferns, have you ever been up there? No, you haven't been up there. Of course you live there. You've never been up there. Uh, that's, that's like us here. Somebody's saving up Slave Donard. No, I've never been up Slave Donard. Why would I go up Slave Donard? But sure, you live here. And when you go up there, it's 7,400 7, feet. And we were up there, it was early morning, and the sky was just absolutely clear, not a cloud in the sky. And as you looked over, as far as you could see, it was just one mountain after another, one valley after another. And all was just that little haze of the early morning mist that was being burnt up. It was just a beautiful, beautiful sight. What must have been like for Moses? Looking all over that great, vast expanse of land. By the way, Israel today doesn't occupy all the land that they were promised, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One day they will, but not now. And so he's looking over, and he, he, he saw that the western, he saw the, the Mediterranean, he must have saw Mount Hermon, the snow-capped Mount Hermon, you see the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, he had looked down close by, there would be Jericho with a city of palm trees, it was just beautiful sight. I wonder what he was thinking. You know, you have to feel a little sympathy for him, haven't you? Because he's come this far. Do you know how close he was to the promised land? Do you know how close he got and couldn't go in? As close as from Moira to Lurgan. That's how close he was from Moira to Lurgan. Just a few miles. So you have to have a little sympathy for him because 
he saw it, but he just couldn't go there. Now, he had asked the Lord, and it implies several times he asked the Lord, Lord, can you let me go? Can you let me lead them in? And at one point, God says, enough. Don't ask me this anymore. You're not going to go in. Joshua's going to go in, not you. So he had to accept that. But here he is. And he must have looked back and... and you know, in retrospect, looked back and, and thought about his life. Maybe his life kind of flashed before him a little bit and how he was brought up in that wonderful environment of the Egyptian princess's palace and how he grew up to be a great man and was taught all the wisdom of Egypt and how he was smart and educated and a great soldier for, for the Egyptian army. And, and, and then how, in spite of all of that and his fabulous wealth, in his heart of hearts, he knew he was a Hebrew. And when he saw his people in Goshen being persecuted, when he came forward, he said, enough is enough. I'm going to throw my law in with them. Those are my people. Remember how he went over and he, he, he felt, I'm the deliverer. I'm going to deliver these people. And he killed that Egyptian and hit him. And then he was caught on. Then he had to flee to Midian. And there he married the priest of Midian's wife, or daughter, not his wife. His, <laughs> better get that right. <laughs> daughter, Sephora. And uh, stayed there 40 years and looked after his father and lost sheep. And then he had that amazing experience at the burning bush. And then God said, I want you to go back. And I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And just by that time, it just so happened, the providence of God, that God was speaking to his brother Aaron to go and find him in Midian. Because they hadn't, hadn't seen each other for years. And they met up and he became his spokesman. And they went and they delivered the children of Israel from Egypt with the mighty hand of God and how they went through the Red Sea and, you know, the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night and all the rest of it. Just, just a wonderful thing. I wonder that just flashed before him and just got him to this point where he's about now to die. I wonder how long he stood there looking, probably as long as he dared to stand, just drinking it in, just looking at everything. You know, did you notice how it says that his eyes... His eyes were not dim. God kept his eyesight perfectly clear, 20-20 vision, so that he would see it perfectly clear. You know, Isaac's eyes, Isaac's eyes, Isaac was nearly blind. And that's why Jacob and Esau, remember Jacob went and dressed up as, as Esau because old Isaac, he couldn't see him. They had to feel him, feel his arms, the hairy arms, you know. And Jacob, even Jacob, when he was uh, blessing Joseph's sons, he, his eyes was dim. He could hardly see either because they were really old too. But not Moses. God kept his eyesight perfect so that he could see. Helen Keller, the great Christian leader who was blind, she said, it's an awful thing to have sight but no vision. An awful thing to have sight but no vision. Moses had vision and he had sight. He had vision for all those years of the promises of God coming true. He could see it. He lived for it. He dreamt about it. He thought about it. He worked for it. He had that vision all that years, decades and decades. But now, thankfully, he's got the sight actually to physically see it just before him. And so here he is, standing, looking. Some people say, well, it's a little bit unfair for God not to let him in because he struck that rock twice. Does the punishment fit the crime? Old Alexander McLaren, the old Scottish preacher, he said, 
No sin of Moses was small. In other words, the higher up spiritually you go, the more is required from you. The higher up spiritually you go with God, if you fail, the consequences are greater. And so even though it may seem to us it wasn't much, but to God it was a bad thing and a big thing, and God could not let him go in. So we have to trust God's judgment in all of these things. And so this is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. He lived his life according to the word of the Lord, and now he's dying according to the word of the Lord. That's good, isn't it? If we could live our lives according to the word of the Lord, then thankfully and hopefully we will die according to the word of the Lord. We'll die righteous. We'll die the right way. We'll die and come into his presence. And so here he is, dying according to the word of the Lord, just exactly as God said. If we could live our lives to that degree, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? So the Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was the only person that God ever buried. <laughs> never ever buried anybody else before or since, and never will. God has such a special relationship with Moses. And God so wanted to treat the body of Moses right that he buried him. Not man. God buried him. And having buried him, he made sure there'd be no marker on his grave, that nobody would ever know where God buried him. Why do you suppose that is? Because if they hadn't have done that, the children of Israel would have made an idol out of his dead body. They would have took him and they probably would have mummified him. Because remember, they'd been 400 years in Egypt. So they knew how to mummify. In fact, when Jacob died, Joseph, who was the prime minister of Egypt, what did he do? He mummified his father's body until he buried it. So they would know how to do that. God couldn't trust these people. They would have made an idol out of Moses' body. They'd have worshipped it. They'd have made a thing out of it. It would become a shrine to Moses. And God says, nah, no. And that would not have been fair in Joshua. Sure it wouldn't. Because Joshua would be the new leader. How could Joshua lead the people if they're crying around the body of Moses as a shrine? Wouldn't have been able to do it. So God says, no, I will bury him and nobody will ever know where his body is to this very day. See, God thinks of everything, every detail. Very, very considerate is our God. And so he's 120 his little day is done. 
And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. What a tremendous man of God. What a life he lived. The greatest man by far in the Old Testament. By far. The greatest writer of scripture in the whole Bible. Paul would come close. But Moses was the greatest. His songs, the song of Moses, sung in heaven. The martyrs sang the song of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the song of the Lamb, it says. It probably wasn't that one there that we just talked about. It's probably the one in, in, in Numbers 15, or Exodus 15, whenever they crossed over the... Crossed over the, the uh, tell me. <laughs> My brain just stopped there. I certainly haven't got Moses' brain, that's for sure. And you remember how he had written that great song and how his sister Miriam led it with tambourines? That was a great song of rejoicing and victory over the enemy. That's probably the one that's sung in Revelation. But I said this is the most unusual death and burial of anybody apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what makes it even more unusual is in the little book of Jude. A little book of Jude that's just right before Revelation. Because Jude says something here that's very strange. Jude is writing against the apostates. These were people who had crept into the church, who were blasphemous, who were arrogant, who shouted and he made great statements, great sweeping statements against the people of God and the things of God and the very angels in heaven. And so Jude writes against them. Second Peter is a kind of a companion book to Epistle of Jude. And regarding them speaking out against authority and leadership, Jude warns in verse 8, he says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries, or glorious ones, that word means. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him, the devil is, a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Huh. Ah. So listen, yet Michael the archangel in contending or arguing with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. Ah, but where do you find that in Scripture? It's not there. It's not in Deuteronomy, it's not in Numbers, it's not in Exodus, not in Genesis, not in Leviticus. It's nothing Moses wrote. It's not in anywhere in the Bible. So commentators are a little bit divided about this. The fact that Jude said it and the fact that it's in Holy Writ today means that the church fathers has agreed with this. But where did it come from? Most of the commentators believe that it came from the apophrical books. The apophrical books and other writings that were written a couple of centuries before Jesus and one century after Jesus. Uh, and there's about 
14 Old Testament apophical books. There's New Testament apophical books. The Catholic Church has apophical books in their Bible. Uh, Protestants generally doesn't have that in their Bible. Orthodox churches would have some of it. So there's a bit of a mixture. But the apophical books, even though you can read them, and even though you may get something out of them, but you can't get any doctrine out of them. And the early church fathers began to realize you can't make doctrine out of this. You can read it, that's fine. You may get something out of it to inspire you or whatever, but do not make a doctrine out of this because especially the New Testament apocryphal books, it would be very much Gnosticism. So he says, don't, don't touch that. That's why Protestant church, we don't really have them. We don't have them in our Bibles. But this one part, which probably was in the book of Enoch, maybe in the assumption of Moses, this one part Jude took. Not that he felt these books were inspired, but he believed this. Maybe because this was an oral tradition that had been put into print. Because the Jews were great with oral traditions. A lot came by word of mouth. But whatever way it came, Jude agreed with it and put it in here. Maybe Jude knew this all along growing up. But here he writes it. Now he's writing it to, to show that Michael the Archangel didn't even say horrible things to even to the devil. But he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. So at some point, the devil wanted the body of Moses. But God wasn't going to let him have it. And Michael the Archangel was there, who's the powerful angel, the warring angel, to make sure the devil would not get it and make sure he would not know where it was buried. Why would the devil want the body of Moses? Maybe for the same reason we discussed earlier, maybe to use it to tempt the children of Israel to make an idol of it. I told you this morning when we talked about the fiery serpent that Moses made, then hundreds of years later, has a good king Hezekiah, he had to destroy it because the people burnt incense to it and were worshipping it. You see... You may wonder, well, what, what, would the, what sort of right would the devil have with the body of Moses? Well, in Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Insomuch then as the children have part, partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Christ, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who at one time had the power of death, but Jesus came along, and Jesus now has the keys of death and hell. Not the devil anymore, but Jesus has them. But just looking back to a time when the devil had certain powers over death, but when Jesus came along, Jesus got the power of life and death. Hallelujah. And he's got the authority. The devil hasn't got that authority anymore. If he had, he'd wipe us all out, but he hasn't got it. It's in God's hands. It's in the Son of God's hands. And so, even the very devil himself was wanting the body of Moses probably to tempt the children of Israel to worship it or to make a shrine of it. Do you know, if you were to go to a red square in Moscow and to the mausoleum of Lenin, for 95 years, Vladimir Lenin is in a glass case, embalmed. And it cost the Russian government 13 million rubles every year just to keep him in condition. 
memo sung the dictator of North Korea that President Trump called Rocket Man, the little Rocket Man. His father and his father before him, they were embalmed and set in a glass case, the dear leader, as they called him. And so communism is a form of religion. It's a religion of man, the worship of man, not God. And how did they do that? For 95 years, Lenin, they worship Lenin. He's sitting there. Now, a lot of Russians today, a lot of modern Russians today said, we don't want that. Get rid of him, bury him. But Putin, Vladimir Putin, he says no. He says, this is like the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church were relics. This is one of our communist relics, and we're going to keep him. He probably thinks one day they'll do this with me too. He'd love that, wouldn't he? His ego would love that. And so here we are. Here's Moses' obituary. We're almost finished. Verse 9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now when people die very often at their grave, there are a memorial stone with writing on it. And... Uh, I've been having a little poke around the internet uh, to see some of the memorial stones. Do you remember Mel Blanc? Mel Blanc was the guy who did all the voices for Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig and Daffy Duck and hundred more. And at the end of all those cartoons, you remember what came up? That's all, folks. Well, that's what's on his gravestone. Mel Blanc, that's all, folks. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr., his family after he died, they took some lines from his very famous speech, I Have a Dream. And on his gravestone, he says, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. <laughs> very fitting for him. Robert Clay Allison, who was a gunslinger in the Wild West. On his gravestone, it says, he never killed a man that did not need killing. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good one. Herman Harband. Herman Harband said, My wife Eleanor Arthur, sorry, my wife Eleanor Arthur of Queens, New York, lived like a princess for 20 years, traveling the world with the best of everything. When I went blind, she tried to poison me, took all my money, all my medication, left me in the dark, alone and sick. It's a miracle I escaped. <laughs> I won't see her in heaven because she's surely going to hell. <laughs> man called John Yeast. On his gravestone, it says, Here lies John Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. <laughs> and the famous one, of course, Spike Milligan, although it was written in, in Gaelic on his gravestone, was, I told you I was ill. <laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote the books about the little house in the prairie that became so famous, she said, remember me with smiles and laughter, for that is how I will remember you are, you all. If you can only remember me with tears, then don't remember me at all. Lester Moore, buried at Boot Hill Cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. <laughs> George Johnson, another Boot Hill <laughs> Tombstone, Arizona guy. 
Here lies George Johnson, hanged by mistake, 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up, now he's gone. <laughs> but then on a serious note, see it, Spurgeon, and I've quoted this at a number of funerals. I think this is a great quote. See it, Spurgeon said, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when the forget-me-nots have withered. Carve your name in hearts, not on marble. Isn't that a good statement? Carve your name in hearts, not on marble. Finally, Moses. Here is his epitaph. If he had had a gravestone, this is what would have been on it. Verse 10, 11 and 12. But since... Then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. But since then there has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. That's an epitaph, isn't it? That's something to be inscribed on a tombstone. And so we have looked at Moses, the man of God. I'm trusting that you've been encouraged along the way. I have enjoyed reading it again. Sometimes you, you go back and things you haven't read for a long time. And I've been inspired, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged. And the only disappointment is I had to leave stuff out to finish it. But there you go. So, glory to God, we've finished it. Thank God for Moses. Amen. Thank God for the first five books of the Bible. You should read them often. You'll get blessed. Lord, we thank you for your servant Moses. We thank you for the legacy that he left behind that we can hold in our very hands today and read it and be inspired and be challenged and encouraged by it. So we give you praise and we give you honor. Help us, Lord, as we study your word on a daily basis, Lord, that you would light up the scriptures to our hearts and eyes. Lord, that we may say wonderful things out of your law, that we may be blessed and strengthened by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.